and welcome to Pause Pop, positively pop culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm Carrie Gessner. And I'm K.W. Taylor. And today, we are going to talk about the new Terminator film, novel series, and the sitcom Schitt's Creek. Carrie, you recently went to see the new Terminator film, and you talked about it with your friend. I did, yeah. So, um, the new Terminator film is called Terminator Dark Fate. And my friend and fellow writer, C.S. Lytle, and I really, really enjoyed it. So I took the opportunity to talk about it with them. And we're going to splice that in here. That's what you're going to hear next. C.S. Lytle is, like I said, a fellow author. And you could find their short story, The Linear Concept of Time, in an online magazine called All Worlds Wayfarer. So be sure to look that up. I beta read that, and it was very interesting. Beware. If you haven't seen Terminator Dark Fate, we do talk about spoilers a little bit. And we love the film so much that we talked about it for like almost an hour. (laughs) So we're going to give you a short version. But if you're interested, we are going to release the long version, the full conversation about the film um, in a bonus episode. So stay tuned for that. Great. I'm excited to hear about it. Thank you. Without further ado, here's the interview with C.S. It's two people who weren't like super familiar with the Terminator franchise. Why were we both like we have to go see this opening weekend? Like <laughs> what what was that about? You know, I was trying to think about that. Sometimes I'll just go to the movies if I'm if I'm having a bad day, you know, just as a reward for myself and I'm a huge like action adventure movie watcher anyway. So, you know, I I always knew I was going to go see it, but I honestly don't remember why I went that particular day. Uh, so I kind of remember when the trailer came out, and Terminator was not on my radar at all, but for some reason, I watched it, and I've been really into, I don't know how to say it, but the more female remakes of right, things right. lately, so like I really love Ghostbusters, I really love the new Star Wars that's kind of updated with mm-hmm. more women and more people of color, so I saw the trailer, and for some reason, I was like, I have to go see this, <laughs> I have to go see it. But I went on Saturday while I was sick anyway, and it was incredible. I loved it. Let's try to give people a quick plot synopsis. I feel like it's not too hard because it's a very high concept story. Yeah, Um, I think I described it to a friend as a feminist homage remake. So it's like not a straight up, the first one didn't happen. This is the new story. It's happened in the same, it's kind of like The Force Awakens, where it was like there were a lot of callbacks to the original, is my understanding, anyway, since I haven't seen the first Terminator movie. So Grace is played by Mackenzie Davis, and she gets sent back from 2042 to save a woman named Danny Ramos, and she's saving her from a basically a Terminator who is out to kill her, and they meet up with Sarah Connor, and... The whole movie is just about keeping Danny safe, basically. And how do we feel about it? Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> many <lots> feelings. feelings. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. I went in with like kind of zero expectations, just, you know, expecting to throw away a couple hours on an action flick. And I realized almost immediately that this this is not what that was, that this this was something special. And it just, it reminded me so much of how I felt when I was watching like Fury Road and Captain Marvel. Yeah, just the strong dynamics between all the characters and uh, it was just unbelievable. I don't even remember the moment during the movie where I was like, this is amazing. I think I was just riveted the whole time. So, okay, 
I mean, let's talk about Sarah Connor first, because even though we haven't really seen the older ones, she's a really big piece, and um, I loved her. Yes. I just, I think it's so interesting that she gets to present herself the way that she does. She's like the older mentor figure. You know, she she's weathered and, you know, she's tough. And she's not like constantly airbrushed or whatever. And like this last time that I that I was watching it, I noticed especially the scene where she was remembering her loss. It was just so amazing because she's just sitting there just slumped over with like absolutely zero self-consciousness and just the filming of her pure grief that she's of what she's everything she's lost and she just doesn't care i don't remember seeing women actresses being allowed to present themselves that way even in those intense moments of grief and loss and it was just really poignant yeah so a couple things struck me they all play roles that aren't very typical so a lot of times the mentor figure is this grizzled old guy mm-hmm. and Sarah's a grizzled old lady, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> which is great. And it's awesome that she's in her 60s and she's allowed to be in her 60s. Mm-hmm. They don't try to make her look younger. They don't try to get her back in the fighting shape she was in her 20s, mm-hmm. um, but she's still got power in her figure. And for the other two, Grace the protector figure um, is also traditionally a male role. And then with Danny, that's traditionally a female role. She's the damsel in distress, but she's not a damsel in distress. Mm-hmm. Like she doesn't know what's going on at first. So she has to allow herself to, to accept this protection from other people. But then once she figures it out, she's she's not a damsel anymore. So that was really exciting for me to see over the course of the movie. Like all three of these archetypical characters that don't really turn out to be that archetypical and yeah that grief scene really really gets to me because she's so lost and broken and that really ties into danny's story too because yeah definitely danny loses some key family members and both she and sarah are allowed to feel that grief they don't have to brush it aside like there's a scene of of danny crying there's that scene of sarah she's not crying but she's absolutely grieving and i thought it was really great to see women who were super strong in the traditional sense of what we think of as strong female characters but they were also really human and they weren't they were allowed to be soft at the same time i think yeah and i was thinking about how how well it worked out to have the three of them together because even though grace suffered you know that great loss of losing her entire family after judgment day she was so young and you know she she grew up after that world came into being and so i feel like it was so important for danny and sarah to have that moment that they recognized each other's grief because they were both ripped out of a normal world just more recently well not for sarah but you know what i mean yeah no i totally understand so let's see danny at the beginning of the movie she you see her as a caretaker for her dad and her brother um she works at a factory with her brother but it's clear from the few scenes there um she's very much of a a take charge kind of person Mm -hmm. and then the moment her path intersects with grace is when the rev nine who is the terminator figure comes and tries to kill her in the factory and grace is the one who stops that from happening and then there's a really cool fight scene and then they (laughs) go on a car chase and it's just like 
Uh, yeah, like, at what point were you like, Danny's amazing and I love her? <laughs> Pretty much from, from the beginning, um, I was interested in her. And then when it became clear that, that she was this take charge sort of person and that she, she had connections with people. And I guess when, when the guy at the factory said, you know, he's not you, you know, we can, we can afford to let him go. We can't lose you. Um, it was like, oh, that's interesting. It's such a great progression from the beginning of the movie, watching them work together almost from the beginning, because you have that moment um, right after the first fight where Danny is going to go to the police um, and Grace is, is crashing. She's augmented. And so she she her metabolism has been fine tuned for um, like short, crazy bursts of energy. And then she crashes. And so she, that's happening Danny is like, you can't stand. How are you going to, you know, what are we going to do? And Grace has to, has to convince her to come back. And once Danny decides to do that, it's like, they're, they're just, they're in it together. Mm -hmm. And part of, part of what I love about that moment is Grace can, does convince her. And then Danny comes back and instead of letting Grace drive, she like just tosses grace into the back seat yes and grace yes. says i'll figure it even... out <laughs> yeah oh my gosh yeah grace is like you can't even drive what are you doing and danny danny says i'll figure it out actually thinking about it now that was the moment where i was like just 100 percent in danny's corner i was like you don't know what's happening but you're gonna do everything in your power yes i yeah i just i love characters who are in a situation they're like i'm gonna do whatever it takes to get out of this uh, going back to Grace a little bit, I, from a story perspective, I really loved the fact that she crashes. I thought that was super interesting. Yes, it's it's such a smart like tension device, really, and I feel like they they could had the potential to overuse that. You know, like oh, she's crashing again, but I just felt like every single time they used it perfectly um, for the situation they were in, and it's like also like you know how they always tell you your characters if your characters use magic there has to be a price because otherwise you know they would just wave their hand well if grace was this all-powerful augmented soldier then yeah she would just and what a great complication like what a great roadblock to throw in front of the characters yeah for sure like i i really liked that you know she was this physically strong character you know and she she had this take charge attitude and she was on a mission but she wasn't necessarily like a leader, you know, obviously she's, she's not stupid, but she's like, she's a soldier. She's a good soldier. And like, I keep thinking of her as like, if you, you play through the video games as, you know, the paragon or, you know, the paladin as the, this honest straight arrow character. And even though she has those moments where she's like, I could rip your throat out if I wanted to. So don't annoy me. You know, or she drops the gun on the counter and is like, there's my prescription when the pharmacy tech is just like, um, and she's like, "Ugh," and she goes to get it herself. She, you know, she's she was never serious about hurting him. Right. I really enjoyed when she didn't follow through with it. She was just like, yeah, OK, I'm just going to go get the meds <laughs> I need now. Just like, don't stop me. <laughs> but I'm not yeah, going yeah. to shoot you. But over the course of the movie, yeah you see her deferring to Danny. She wants to follow orders to keep Danny safe, but she's also like, hey, sometimes I don't always know the best way to do that. So mm -hmm. I'm going to let Sarah take the lead here or 
yeah, I really hate this plan of using Danny for bait, but that's what Danny that's what Danny wants to do, so we're going to do that. I just really loved how all of that developed organically because it goes hand in hand with Danny becoming a leader throughout the movie. And then when you hit that moment in the plane <laughs> where oh my god. <laughs> oh. <laughs> ah, I like get chills every time I watch it. Where you hit this moment in the plane where it seems like all is lost. And Carl (laughs) is like, hey, if we continue on this path, we have 12% of success. And Danny is like, but that's not zero. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. And then that's the moment when Grace reveals that she not only knows Danny from the future, but Danny is the leader of the entire human resistance against this AI called Legion. And... Oh, like it's such a satisfying moment because Sarah, there's an earlier, that earlier scene on the train where Sarah is absolutely certain that Danny needs to be protected because Danny was her. Uh, Sarah was going to give birth to John Connor and John Connor was going to grow up to be the leader of the resistance. And that was why they wanted Sarah dead. So she's like, oh, obviously Danny's going to give birth to some dude who then leads the resistance. And and the first time I saw it, I really didn't understand why Grace got so angry after that. But I mean, obviously now I do. <laughs> I like, yeah. yeah. Okay, that, that makes total sense now. But um, they're in this in the plane, and all is lost. And Danny's like, "No, let's keep going. We have to keep going." And that's when Grace is like, "Danny, <laughs> you told me I couldn't tell you this earlier when I first met you because you were totally not the same person. But you see that she has become a whole different person over." over the course of the movie but she's also she also has the same core characteristics which make her her and she reveals that Danny's the leader of the resistance in the future and everything makes sense but it's also kind of it's a little bit of a surprise it's not really a surprise but like it's enough <laughs> of a surprise that you're like I can't believe they did that but I yes love it. <laughs> I mean I think so many women have watched movies like this I actually would not describe myself as an action film buff or whatever, but I recently realized that, yeah, I really love action movies. There just haven't been a ton that are super up my alley. And I think, yeah, a lot of the women in the audience were like, oh my god, wait, this is, you gave us three main female characters and then like the the one is like super important, like she's the linchpin of everything in this universe. This is so novel to us you know yeah yeah i think that was actually the moment like i knew i was having fun with the movie and i knew that i liked the characters but i think that was the moment where i was like oh god this is gonna be one of my favorite (laughs) films forever Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i mean as someone you know who will watch pretty much anything that is fast-paced with explosions you know it's it's like eating saltine crackers almost and then eating this was like or watching this rather it was like it was like eating something that i had never tasted before but that was just so good um and it's like this is what's been missing this is what i've been looking for in all those other action movies that makes a lot of sense the fact that this gave us so many women and different kinds of women i think was really empowering for me as a viewer yeah yeah i mean even if it's not like completely original with you know oh my god you know nobody's ever done this with women before it's like you get different kinds you know because there are as many different kinds of women characters as there are you know women 
And so like we get like Wonder Woman who has this, you know, very sort of feminine superhero who can also, you know, do all that stuff. But then, you know, we get like Captain Marvel, who is, you know, very much more like almost like a a bare knuckles kind of fighter and like a very uh, kind of a harder character. And it's just it's seeing them both is great because, you know, there haven't been heroes like that. And then, you know, you get characters like Furiosa from Fury Road and the other female characters in that film. So it's filling in the different kinds of representation that, you know, male characters have always been shown in such a wide spectrum. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's why I think the more female characters we see, the less they'll be confined to the damsel in distress role. Right. Stuff like that. Definitely. Like, less restrained to stereotypes. Yeah. Well, um, thank you so much for sharing all your thoughts. Thank you for for letting me. I've just, I've been looking for somebody to just, you know, tell this to. And it's been so difficult to find anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for um, letting me flail about it. And for your tweet that was like, go see this movie. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And then I loved it. I'm so glad. (laughs) (laughs) And there you have it. Our reviews on Terminator Dark Fate. Moving on. KW, you've been reading a book series lately. And do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. um, Well, I was planning on talking about just this novel series um, overall. But then I, I got kind of interested in talking about the concept of novel series more generally. So I started reading this series called the Griffin and Wyborn series by Jordan L. Hawk. It's kind of like paranormal romance with a little bit of not quite steampunk, but it's set in the Victorian era in the U.S. This linguist who works in a museum, Wyborn, Percival Wyborn, falls in love with a private investigator um, named Griffin, and they end up solving mysteries together and falling in love. And there's also a lot in there about having to hide their romance because it is in the Victorian area and it's two men and they're very cute together, but it's also like, it gets really heavy and the the stories are based on the Lovecraft mythos, um, HP Lovecraft, who wrote like Call of Cthulhu and stuff. And so the creatures that they fight and battle are all based on creatures from Lovecraft stories. And the other reason I kind of like that is that Lovecraft is a little bit of a problematic figure. And anytime people sort of reclaim his work and make it more relevant to uh, more diverse populations. I think that's awesome because Lovecraft's concepts are really cool, but some of the original work itself is a little bit like, I guess, troubling. I mean, he was a little bit of the product of his time, but also his views were even a little bit extreme for his time. So um, in terms of especially race, he wasn't really great on race relations. Um, So I think it's really neat to kind of, reclaim reframe put that material in a better light i guess um and i really enjoy the griffin wyborn series um our friend jl gribble was reading them and i saw on her goodreads um that they looked kind of up my alley and so i started them and was like oh these are great but i did pause after the third book because the series is actually 10 books long so i'm gonna finish it i'm gonna keep going with it But I did find that my momentum for continuing the same series of an already completed long book series 
I got a little bit like, oh, you know, I need to read something else because I'm I read all the time. And so I needed a little bit of a breathing space from that. And so it, it also got me wondering what the best length for a novel series is and what makes you keep going with the series. So what would you say is the longest novel series that you've read? Hmm. That's a that's a good question. I'm going to say the Queen's Thief series by Megan Whalen Turner. And currently it's five books. And then there's a six book that's supposed to come out next year. But currently it's it's at five. Okay. And so, I mean, I've read the Harry Potter series. I've read the <laughs> Dark Tower series. Yeah, I read Harry Potter too. Sorry. But like both of those are still a little shorter than 10. And if you're also reading them as they come out, it's not quite so much of a binge read. Right. Even though like TV series are a little bit more bingeable, it's I think it's harder with a book series to kind of read them all in order all at once suddenly because you're a little bit more like immersed in the world than you are when you're watching TV. I don't know. It just kind of made me wonder about that. And I'm also really behind in the Dresden Files book series, which we're going to talk about the Dresden Files TV show in a few weeks. And uh, that series is up to 15 books. And I know I've only read... I've read less than 10 of them. And I think it was because I was behind and it felt like, oh, I'd have to like binge these. And I didn't, even though I loved it, I didn't necessarily want to be in that world at the exclusion of other books. So I don't know. It's kind of like, actually, since you and I also both write series, what's your, so you've got multiple series going. Is that correct? Not really. I have one series going. I have one book that's a standalone that, I sort of envisioned as it could be a jumping off into a short series, but currently I have no plans to make it <laughs> a series. Oh, that's too bad. Oh, okay. Um, okay. You're the second person who told me that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good. Okay. How many how many books do you envision being in your in your actual series though? You're it's it's a trilogy, so it'll be three, and then I'm writing a novella that. That's in the universe, but follows a side character. And so I don't know if I would really count that. I think so. It's okay. like a 3.5. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've got like a couple different series going, but it also is a case of at what point does a series feel complete for the author? I've got a first book of a science fiction, what I envisioned as a series, but now I'm I'm sort of thinking of it as eventually a trilogy and I'm working on the second book right now. And then this other series, I actually my publisher actually went out of business while I was working on the second piece of that, or actually the third book of that. And so I've decided that I'm just gonna do it as an omnibus when I finish this and that might be it. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So we'll see. But I think also as as an author depending on how long a series takes you, it can end up feeling like, you know what, I'm good with that world. It's been a while. I'm not really feeling that way artistically anymore. Jordan L. Hawk, who wrote Griffin and Wyborn, wrote them all within, I think, about a five-year period. Wow. I think that that might be easier. If you've got that kind of work ethic and momentum, keeping a long series going, you've almost got to do it really quickly. Yeah, I don't know. I have a lot of different thoughts about series, depending on the genre and things like that. So my series is epic fantasy, and because they're, I mean, they're not huge for epic fantasy, but they're pretty big for for being a novel. You know, if we define it as 50,000 words, this is two and a half novels. And I really like the world, and I really like my characters, but I also find that when I finish a book, I have to take a break. So 
yeah, I really don't understand how people like, I don't know, Charlene Harris can write tens of books in the same world with the same characters. I feel like I would get a little bit bored and a little bit frustrated. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think, I think, yeah, I think the genre matters. I think bringing in new characters and making sure your characters have both a book arc and a series arc so that they do change and grow over the course of the series so that you have goals for them. Yeah. I think it's probably similar for people who write episodic television, making sure that you have goals for the end, which I think can inspire you to write to that end. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But doing both the book arc and the series arc is can be a tough balancing act. Yes, I agree. So as a writer, I don't think I could ever write a really long series. But as a reader, if I find a series that I like, um, obviously I love that if there would be 12 books in it. But I like different kinds of series. Like, okay, so Griffin and Wyborn, that's fantasy kind of historical steampunky, right? So you're following the same characters and that's really cool if you love the characters. Um one thing that I find really interesting and cool about romance is that you hardly ever get books in a series with the same main characters. It's always about like friend groups. For so a four book series could have main characters who are four friends together and then their separate love stories. And I find stuff like that pretty interesting because you're keeping it fresh with new characters, but you're also staying in the same world and you have the old characters to connect to. So I think stuff like that's really interesting. That's cool. That is cool. And I I probably haven't read enough. I haven't always continued with romance series that do that. Like if I like the first book and it's one couple, and then I know that in the second book, it's a different couple. Sometimes I don't continue the series as a reader. Um, this series, even though it's, it's a romance for sure, but it's always with the same couple. And I think that is an interesting choice because what I've noticed, in, at least within the first three books with romance uh, and this is based on some classes I've taken and things I've studied, there's kind of considered eight points that you kind of want to hit in a romance novel if it's to be classed as a traditional romance novel. And the thing that's funny is that even though they're not like breaking up or anything, that each book actually still hits those eight points, even though they're in a continuing relationship. Oh, okay. That's really, that's interesting. And I would find it kind of hard to do as a writer. <laughs> I know, which I think that really speaks to Hawk as an author. Um, and I haven't read any of their other stuff, but they've written other kind of similar series. And so I cannot imagine having the dexterity or or ability as a, as a romance author in particular to make sure you do that. And I don't know how conscious that is, right? Because like, if you read a genre enough, you kind of know what those what those tropes are and those kind of outline things that you want to hit, the things that that exemplify a genre. So I think after a point, you're just sort of doing it because it's ingrained in you, kind of like grammar or something. But if it's purposeful and, and done with that end in mind, then they're doing a great job of it because they're hitting it. So um, I'll have to kind of see if I continue the series. I'm taking a break from it right now to read some other stuff, but I think I will continue the series and I'll kind of make a note if if they keep that uh, template going. Cool. I just want to mention too that um, 
as far as I've noticed, I don't know if you have noticed this, but I feel like urban fantasy, which it seems like the Wyborn and Griffin series could be described as in that genre, they tend to do a lot of that. Like they'll stick with the same couple through 10 books or whatever, as opposed to um, just straight up romance where they switch couples every every book. Yeah. Yep. Cool. To kind of transition us to our next topic, we met, we mentioned that that this might be something that television writers have to sort of figure out for themselves too. And so to kind of transition to our final topic of the day, we wanted to talk about the sitcom Shit's Creek. Yes, we did. Do you want to tell people how we kind of found out about Shit's Creek? Well, I mean, I think we both found out about it slightly differently, but I know that you got recommended it by Heidi Ruby Miller and Jason Jack Miller. Is that right? Actually, my friend Erin, she would tweet about it a lot. And I was like, oh, it's really cool that she loves the show so much. And I hadn't really thought about watching it or I hadn't, I just hadn't watched it. And then, um, yeah, I talked to Heidi and Jason and they also raved about it. And I was kind of like, well, if three of my friends really like this, I'm going to give it a shot. And then I did. And I liked it. Cool. And I got recommended. I think you had talked about it. I think I talked about it with Jason. And then I, my friend Robin, who we're probably going to have on the show in a few weeks, um, she was raving about it. So yeah, so like a lot of different people were telling us about it. And I also want to be clear that this is spelled (laughs) S-C-H-I-T-T. If you're looking for it, that's how you search for it. So this series was originally on the CBC in Canada. It started in 2015. It's still going it so far has five seasons, uh, 66 episodes, and in the U.S. it airs on the cable network Pop TV, and it's also streaming on Netflix. They're making one more season, season six, and it's going to be the last season. And it comes out in January. Oh, I didn't know that. Ooh, okay. <laughs> 14 more episodes. That's all we have left. So do you want to give us a rundown of the premise of this show? Okay. Chiss Creek is about a family... Uh, called the Rose Family, and Johnny Rose and Moira Rose are the parents, and then they have adult children, David and Alexis, and they had a big um, video rental business, I think, <laughs> and then in the, in the very first episode, uh, you find out something happened, oh my god, I'm so bad with details, but someone was like embezzling or something, and then they lost the business, so they lost all of their money and stuff in their house. And then the only thing that they get to keep is this town of Schitt's Creek that Johnny bought for David kind of as a joke years before, I think. Is that right? Yep. And because it's the only thing they have left, they move to this town and they start living in the hotel. And it's a lot about the adjustment of how they go from their old life to this new life. And I think that the, the thing that I like the best about it is the performances. So you've got some big names in like Canadian comedy. Uh, Eugene Levy plays Johnny and uh, Catherine O'Hara plays Moira. And then um, Chris Elliott plays the mayor of the town, Roland. And those, those folks are all like huge, I guess, improvisational comedy stars. And I think that, I don't know how much the show is really improvised, but it come it has that feel to it a little bit. And David and Alexis are played by Daniel Levy and Annie Murphy. And Daniel Levy is Eugene Levy's real life son. And he co-created the show with his dad. Yeah, that was cute. <laughs> and they look so much alike. So they do. Yeah. Um, there's also, I, you never watched 12 Monkeys, right? No, it's kind of perpetually on my list of things to watch. 
Twelve Monkeys was a sci-fi show that I believe was filmed in Canada. And Emily Hampshire was in that show, and I loved her on that show, and she plays Stevie in Schitt's Creek. Stevie is one of my favorite characters. Stevie is awesome. She's the manager of the motel, and she just the way she reacts to the Rose family is just kind of like, she's kind of the audience insert in a way. Mm-hmm. She's the practical down to earth person who lives in the town, but is also a little bit cynical about the town itself too. But then this very clueless, formerly wealthy family moves in there and it's just like, I don't know, her face, facial expressions are just uh, priceless. <laughs> and she has a really interesting story arc that I won't spoil, but I got way more invested in her over the seasons. And by season five, she was just like emerging as one of my favorite characters. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, KW, have you finished with season five? Yeah. Okay. So KW is all finished with everything that's out on Netflix. And I have just finished season three. So I'm a little bit behind. Yeah. So who are your favorite characters? Uh, Well, Stevie is one. And then I very much enjoyed David because he's just... He's very over the top and and dramatic. So what happens when they move into the motel is that Johnny and Moira have a room and then David and Alexis share a room. And if you've ever shared a room with your sibling, you know what that's like. But then fast forward till when you're in your 20s and it's even (laughs) more annoying. (laughs) They're like in their late 20s, like they're pushing 30 living in the same room together. And it's it's a lot. (laughs) And then... One of my other favorite characters is Moira, and I think it's basically the same reason as David. They're both over the top and and clueless about stuff. <laughs> it's just funny to watch them interact with, with the townspeople. I also want to point out that last week we talked about the Adams family, and I actually see some serious similarities between these shows. Not only the kind of eccentric family who has to sort of navigate real world people quote-unquote real world people but also the the family unit is similarly constructed and the other thing is that johnny and moira as weird as they are and especially moira they actually really really love each other and have this really sweet marriage and they're super committed and you would think that a a couple who's very like formerly wealthy and somewhat shallow and whatever might have a very cynical laissez-faire attitude toward their relationship, but no, they're super committed. And, and this, this kind of change in their socioeconomic status, I think sort of brings the family closer together. I agree. And I think it's, I think it's really sweet to see couples like that, especially because it'd be very easy to manufacture the conflict through their relationship. But I like seeing when couples can support each other, even when they have different perspectives. Yes. And Moira is a former soap opera actress. And so a lot of her storylines have to do with her wanting to be on the stage still and wanting to be in movies and some strange, like former roles that she's had. And it's just so and for me, like as a former soap watcher, a lot of her behavior and some of the conventions she goes to and certain things like just that kind of like it's cute it's funny I don't know I I didn't I didn't love her character when I first started watching it I thought she was a lot and (laughs) had a really affected voice and stuff but I've gotten more used to it so if if anything turns you off about the performances in the early episodes it it does kind of get softened and nuanced as time goes on so Mm -hmm. so if she wasn't one of your favorite characters and Stevie wasn't at the beginning who are your favorite characters or were when you first started? 
when I first started, I think the kids were my favorite characters, and they still kind of are. I think I think David gets a lot of attention for being a great character, and he is a great character, and I adore him. Uh, but I think Alexis should get some some shout out too, and she's played by Annie Murphy. Her facial expressions are priceless, <laughs> and she can just give a lot of attitude with just a little a little shrug or a little pout or something. And I also think that despite some of the things she goes through, she maintains a fairly upbeat, optimistic attitude that's a little unlike David. And I think that that plays off each other really well. So, yeah. That's true. Yeah. I will confess that I actually didn't like Alexis through the whole first season. (laughs) I think it's because a lot of her storyline in the first season revolves around the men she's dating or pursuing. So I was kind of like, uh this is, I don't know, she didn't seem as nuanced to me as she gets in the later seasons. And I, I, I'm on season three now, and I really like her now. Um, she has, has had a lot of growth. I think she continues to have growth, and I think some of that complaint gets, I think you'll find that that gets a little better. The only, actually, the only character that I still don't really like is Roland. Chris Elliott is a good actor. It's an interesting role. But he seems much more like a caricature than any of the other townspeople. Um, And he doesn't really change that over time. So, yeah. And I'm what's funny is that he's the only American actor in the entire cast. And I don't know if that's like a purposeful, weird, subtle choice they've made to continue to make his character be really outlandish and kind of annoying. Um, Or maybe that's just my perception or trying to be like. I don't know if that's a meta commentary on the difference between the two North American countries that share a border. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I didn't know he was American, so <laughs> that would not be my first guess. But I actually think he has some really good episodes where he does show some nuance. Um, do you remember the one where, uh, let's see, Roland and Jocelyn, whom I very much enjoy. I like Jocelyn a lot, his wife. And she's played by Jennifer Robertson. So they give a coupon to Johnny and Moira for their anniversary or something to this restaurant and they go and they Johnny and Moira run into some old friends and there's a whole scene where all six of them are together so it's kind of Johnny and Moira's old friends and their new friends Roland and Jocelyn I mean it's clear that they're old friends I can't remember their names but it's clear that their old friends are snobby and looking down on the town and Roland stands up for his town and his people. And I don't know. I just thought that I don't think he's as much of a caricature as you do. But differences, that's fine. <laughs> I think I think I had a certain, like, in the first episode, he is, there's a running gag that just goes on a little too long with him. And I think from that point onward, I was just kind of noticing that the storylines that I found less compelling to me personally were the ones that revolved around him. So I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. But no, he's a, he's a good actor and I've liked other things that he's been in and this is not like his worst role or anything. So, but yeah, I think this is a, it's a very subtle kind of humor. Sometimes it's not always for me a laugh out loud show, but it is like something I can watch like six episodes of at a go and be like totally entertained. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. I often watch two episodes on my lunch break. It's a nice little break from work. Gets me ready for the next three or four hours. Yeah, yeah. I also want to mention that Eugene 
Levy and Dan Levy um, co-created the show and are in it. But also Eugene's daughter, Sarah Levy, is a character named Twyla, which I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think... <laughs> Did I tell you that? Uh, no, I think I saw it on Twitter and I was just like, what? <laughs> yeah. And what's funny is that the girl who plays Alexis, who's supposed to be their actual daughter, she and Twyla, Sarah Levy, don't look that unalike. So like, that was good casting. And it also made me wonder, like, why didn't Sarah Levy play Alexis? But right? she's awesome as Twyla, though. Twyla is a really fun little character who's not as prominent, but she she has some great lines and she has a certain attitude that, I don't know, like, she's very chipper, even when really terrible things happen to her. And sometimes she doesn't quite know that things are terrible that are happening, to her, <laughs> which is really cute. And yeah, I find her really fun. I also, you know, the other character I really like is Ronnie. Oh, I love Ronnie. Ronnie is, uh, Veronica Lee is, a, I think she's a plumber, but she's also in the town council and she's played by Karen Robinson. And she's just like, she has no time for anybody's <laughs> malarkey. She is just a take no guff kind of lady. And she's also in the like, there's a town ladies choir that sings and stuff and she's in the choir and stuff. And so she, you see a lot of her in different ways and she's just really funny. So I like her a lot. Same. Okay. So do you have anything else you want to add about that? I don't think so. I'm looking forward to watching the next couple of seasons. Yeah. It's good. It stays really good. So I think you'll enjoy it. Cool. So next time, what are we talking about next time? We're going to talk about more exciting pop culture things, including Carrie, you're going to talk about the book Queen of Shadow or Queen Shadow? Queen's Shadow. <laughs> okay. By E.K. Johnston. It's a Star Wars book. And KW is going to talk about foreign language pop music. And then we're both going to talk about the BBC podcast, The Case of Charles Dexter Ward, which like Griffin and Wyborn, is also based on the works of H.P. Lovecraft. Awesome. Cool. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at KWTaylorWriter. And you can find me at Carrie Gessner. And if you want to email us, you can do so at PositivelyPopCulture at gmail.com. And you can find us together on Twitter at Podcast. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. <laughs>